Chapter 17 of Reed Anthony Cowman, an autobiography by Andy Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Foreshadows. I returned to Texas early in September. My foreman on the Double Mountain Ranch had written me several times during the summer, promising me a surprise on the half-blood calves. There was nothing of importance in the north except the shipping of a few trainloads of beeves from our ranch in the outlet, and as the bookkeeper could attend to that, I decided to go back. I offered another excuse for going, but home hunger and the improved herd were the main reasons. It was a fortunate thing that I went home, for it enabled me to get in touch with the popular feeling in my adopted state over the outlook for livestock in the future. Up to this time, there had been no general movement in cattle, in sympathy with other branches of industry, notably in sheep and wool, supply always far exceeding demand. There had been a gradual appreciation in marketable steers, first noticeable in 1876, and gaining thereafter about a dollar a year per head on all grades, yet so slowly, has not to disturb or excite the trade. During the fall of 1879, however, there was a feeling of unrest in cattle circles in Texas, and predictions of a notable advance could be heard on every side. The trail had been established as far north as Montana. Capital, by the millions, was seeking investment in ranching, and everything augured for a brighter future. That very summer, the trail had absorbed 650,000 cattle, or possibly 10% of the home supply, which readily found a market at army posts, Indian agencies, and two little cow towns in the north. Investment in Texas steers was paying 50 to 100% annually. The whole northwest was turning into one immense pasture, and the feeling was general that the time had come for the Lone Star State to expect a fair share in the profits of this immense industry. Cattle associations organized for mutual protection and the promotion of community interests were active agencies in enlarging the Texas market. National conventions were held annually at which every livestock organization in the West was represented, and buyer and seller met on common ground. Two years before, the Cattle Raisers Association of Texas was formed. Other states and territories founded similar organizations, and when these met in National Assembly, the cattle on a thousand hills were represented. No one was more anxious than myself that a proper appreciation should follow the enlargement of our home market. Yet I had hopes that it would come gradually and not excite or disturb settled conditions. In our contracts with the government, we were under the necessity of anticipating the market ten months in advance, and any sudden or unseen change in prices in the interim between submitting our estimates and buying the cattle to fill the same would be ruinous. Therefore, it was important to keep a finger on the pulse of the home market, to note the drift of straws, and to listen for every rumor afloat. Lands in Texas were advancing in value, 
a general wave of prosperity had followed self-government and the building of railroads, and cattle alone was the only commodity that had not proportionately risen in value. In spite of my hopes to the contrary, I had a well-grounded belief that a revolution in cattle prices was coming. Daily meeting with men from the Northwest at Dodge and Ogallala during the summer just past, I had felt every throb of the demand that pulsated those markets. There was a general inquiry for young steers. She-stuff, with which to start ranches, was eagerly snapped up, and it stood to reason that if this reckless northern demand continued, its influence would soon be felt on the plains of Texas. Susceptible to all these influences, I had returned home to find both my ranches littered with a big calf crop, the brand actually increasing in numbers in spite of the drain of trail herds annually cut out. But the idol of my eye was those half-blood calves. Out of a possible five hundred, there were four hundred and fifty-odd by actual count, all big as yearlings and reflecting the selection of their parents. I loafed away a week at the canyon camp, rode through them daily, and laughed at their innocent antics as they horned the bluffs or fought their mimic fights. The Double Mountain Ranch was my pride, and before leaving, the foreman and I outlined some landed additions to fill and square up my holdings, in case it should ever be necessary to fence the range. On my return to the Clear Fork, the ranch outfit had just finished gathering from my own and adjoining ranges 1,500 bulls for distillery feeding. The sale had been effected by correspondence with my former customer, and when the herd started, the two of us drove on ahead into Fort Worth. The Illinois man was an extensive dealer in cattle and had followed the business for years in his own state, and in the week we spent together, awaiting the arrival of his purchase, I learned much of value. There was a distinct difference between a range cowman and a stockman from the older western states, but while the occupations were different, there was much in common between the two. Through my customer I learned that western range cattle, when well fatted, were competing with grass beeves from his own state, that they dressed more to their gross weight than natives, and that the quality of their flesh was unsurpassed. As to the future, the Illinois buyer could see little to hope for in his own country, but was enthusiastic over the outlook for us ranchmen in the Southwest. All things were but straws which foretold the course of the wind, yet neither of us looked for the cyclone which was hovering near. I accompanied the last train of the shipment as far as Parsons, Kansas, where our ways parted, my customer going to Peoria, Illinois, while I continued on to the Grove. Both my partners and our segundo were awaiting me. The bookkeeper had all accounts in hand, and the profits of the year were enough to turn ordinary men's heads. But I sounded a note of warning, that there were breakers ahead, though none of them took me seriously until I called for the individual herd accounts. With all the friendly advantages shown us by the war and interior departments, the six herds from the Colorado River, taking their chance in the open market, 
had cleared more money per head than had the heavy beeves, requiring 33% a larger investment. In summing up my warning, I suggested that now, while we were winners, would be a good time to drop contracting with the government and confine ourselves strictly to the open market. Instead of ten months between assuming obligations and their fulfillment, why not reduce the chances to three or four, with the hungry, clamoring West for our market? The powwow lasted several days. Finally, all agreed to sever our dealings with the Interior Department, which required cows for Indian agencies, and confine our business to the open market and supplying the Army with beef. Our partner, the Senator, reluctantly yielded to the opinions of Major Hunter and myself. Urging our loss of prestige and its reflection on his standing at the national capital. But we countered on him, arguing that as a representative of the West, the opportunity of the hour was his to insist on larger estimates for the coming year and to secure proportionate appropriations for both the War and Interior Departments, if they wished to attract responsible bidders. If only the ordinary estimates and allowances were made, it would result in a deficiency in these departments, and no one cared for vouchers, even against the government, when the funds were not available to meet the same on presentation. Major Hunter suggested to our partner that as beef contractors we be called in consultation with the head of each department and allowed to offer our views for the general benefit of the service. The Senator saw his opportunity, promising to hasten on to Washington at once, while the rest of us agreed to hold ourselves in readiness to respond to any call. Edwards and I returned to Texas. The former was stationed for the winter at San Antonio, under instructions to keep in touch with the market, while I loitered between Fort Worth and the home ranch. The arrival of the list of awards came promptly as usual, but beyond a random glance, was neglected, pending state developments. An advance of two dollars and a half ahead was predicted on all grades, and buyers and superintendents of cattle companies in the north and west were quietly dropping down into Texas for the winter, inquiring for and offering to contract cattle for spring delivery at Dodge and Ogallala. I was quietly resting on my oars, at the ranch, when a special messenger arrived, summoning me to Washington. The motive was easily understood, and on my reaching Fort Worth, the message was supplemented by another one from Major Hunter, asking me to touch at Council Grove en route. Writing Edwards fully what would be expected of him during my absence, I reached the Grove, and was joined by my partner, and we proceeded on to the National Capital arriving fully two weeks in advance of the closing day for bids. All three of us called and paid our respects to the heads of the War and Interior Departments. On special request of the secretaries, an appointment was made for the following day, when the Senator took Major Hunter and me under his wing and coached us in support of his suggestions to either department. There was no occasion to warn me as I had just come from the seat of beef supply, 
and knew the feverish conditions of affairs at home. The appointments were kept promptly. At the Interior Department, we tarried but a few minutes after informing the Secretary that we were submitting no bids that year in his division, but allowed ourselves to be drawn out as to the why and wherefore. Major Hunter was a man of moderate schooling, apt in conversation, and did nearly all the talking, though I put in a few general observations. We were cordially greeted at the war office, good cigars were lighted, and we went over the situation fully. The reports of the year before were gone over, and we were complimented on our different deliveries to the Army. We accepted all flatteries as a matter of course, though the past is poor security for the future. When the matter of contracting for the present year was broached, we confessed our ability to handle any awards in our territory to the number of fifty to seventy-five thousand beeves, but would like some assurance that the present or forthcoming appropriations would be ample to meet all contracts. Our doubts were readily removed by the firmness of the Secretary when, as we arose to leave, Major Hunter suggested, by way of friendly advice, that the government ought to look well to the bonds of contractors, saying that the beef-producing regions of the West and South had experienced an advance in prices recently, which made contracting cattle for future delivery extremely hazardous. At parting, regret was expressed that the sudden change in affairs would prevent our submitting estimates only so far as we had the cattle in hand. Three days before the limit expired, we submitted twenty bids to the War Department. Our figures were such that we felt fully protected, as we had twenty thousand cattle on our northern range, while advice was reaching us daily from the beef regions of Texas. The openings of proposals was no surprise, only seven fallen to us, and all admitting of southern beeves. Within an hour after the results was known, a wire was sent to Edwards, authorizing him to contract immediately for 22,000 heavy steer cattle and advance money liberally on every agreement. Duplicates of our estimates had been sent him the same day they were submitted at the war office. Our segundo had tripled the number of cattle in sight, and was then in a position to act intelligently. The next morning, Major Hunter and I left the capital for San Antonio, taking a southern route through Virginia, sighting old battlefields where both had seen service on opposing sides, but now standing shoulder to shoulder as trail drovers and army contractors. We arrived at our destination promptly. Edwards was missing, but inquiry among our bankers developed the fact that he had been drawing heavily the past few days, and we knew that all was well. A few nights later he came in, having secured our requirements at an advance of two to three dollars a head over the prices of the preceding spring. The livestock interests of the state were centering in the coming cattle convention, which would be held at Fort Worth in February. At this meeting, heavy trading was anticipated for present and future delivery, and any sales effected would establish prices for the coming spring. 
From the number of northern buyers that were in Texas and others expected at the convention, Edwards suggested buying before the meeting at least half the requirements for our beef ranch and trail cattle. Major Hunter and I both fell in with the idea of our segundo, and we scattered to our old haunts under agreement to report at Fort Worth for the meeting of the clans. I spent two weeks among my ranchman friends on the headwaters of the Frio and Nueces rivers, and while they were fully awake to the advance in prices, I closed trades on 21,000 two- and three-year-old steers for March delivery. It was always a weakness in me to overbuy, and in receiving, I could never hold a herd down to the agreed numbers. But my shortcomings in this instance proved a boon. On arriving at Fort Worth, the other two reported, having combed their old stamping grounds of half a dozen counties along the Colorado River, and having secured only 15,000 head. Everyone was waiting until after the cattle convention, and only those who had stock in hand could be induced to talk business or enter into agreements. The convention was a notable affair. Men from Montana and intervening states and territories rubbed elbows and clinked their glasses with the Texans to, here's to a better acquaintance. The trail drovers were there to a man. The very atmosphere was tainted with cigar smoke. The only sounds were cattle talk, and the nights were wild and sleepless. I'll sell 10,000 panhandle three-year-old steers for delivery at Ogallala, spoken in the lobby of a hotel or bar room, would instantly attract the attention of half a dozen men in fur overcoats and heavy flannel. What are your cattle worth? Laid down on the plat, was the usual rejoinder, followed by a drink, a cigar, and a conference, sometimes ending in a deal or terminating in a friendly acquaintance. I had met many of these men at Abilene, Wichita, and Great Bend, and later at Dodge City and Ogallala, and now they had invaded Texas, and the son of a prophet could not foretell the future. Our firm never offered a hoof, but the three days of the convention were forewarnings of the next few years to follow. I was personally interested in the general tendency of the men from the upper country to contract for heifers and young cows, and while the prices offered for northern delivery were a distinct advance over those of the summer before, I resisted all temptations to enter into agreements. The northern buyers and trail drovers selfishly joined issues in bearing prices in Texas. Yet, in spite of their united efforts, over 200,000 cattle were sold during the meeting, and at figures averaging fully $3 a head over those of the previous spring. The convention adjourned, and those in attendance scattered to their homes and businesses. Between midnight and morning of the last day of the meeting, Major Hunter and I closed contracts for two trail herds of 6,500 head in Erath and Comanche counties. Within a week, two others of straight three-year-olds were secured, one in my home county and the other 50 miles northwest in Throckmorton. This completed our purchases for the present, giving us a chain of cattle to receive from within one county of the Rio Grande on the south 
to the same distance from Red River on the north. The work was divided into divisions. One thousand extra saddle horses were needed for the beef herds and others, and men were sent south to secure them. All private and company remudas had returned to the Clear Fork to winter, and from there would be issued wherever we had cattle to receive. A carload of wagons was bought at the fort. The teams were sent in after them, and a busy fortnight followed in organizing the forces. Edwards was assigned to assist Major Hunter in receiving the beef cattle along the lower Frio and Nueces, starting in ample time to receive the saddle stock in advance of the beeves. There was three weeks' difference in the starting of grass between northern and southern Texas, and we made our dates for receiving accordingly, mine for Medina and Uvalde counties, following on the heels of the beef herds from the lower country. From the 12th of March I was kept in the saddle ten days, receiving cattle from the headwaters of the Frio and Nueces rivers. All my old foremen rendered valuable assistance, two and three herds being in the course of formation at a time, and, as usual, we received eleven hundred over and above the contracts. The herds moved out on good grass and plenty of water. The last of the heavy beeves had passed north on my return to San Antonio, and I caught the first train out to join the others in central Texas. My buckboard had been brought down with the remudas and was awaiting me at the station. The Colorado River on the west was reached that night, and by noon the next day I was in the thick of the receiving. When three herds had started, I reported in Comanche and Erath counties, where gathering our herds was in progress, and fixing definite dates that would allow Edwards and my partner to arrive, I drove on through to the Clear Fork. Under previous instructions, a herd of 3,500 two-year-old heifers was ready to start, while nearly 4,000 steers were in hand, with one outfit yet to come in from up the Brazos. We were gathering close that year. Everything three years old or over must go, and the outfits were ranging far and wide. The steer herd was held down to 3,200, both it and the heifers moving out the same day with a remnant of over a thousand three-year-old steers left over. The herd under contract to the firm in the home county came up full in number and was the next to get away. A courier arrived from the Double Mountain Range and reported a second contingent of heifers ready, but that the steers would overrun for a wieldly herd. The next morning the overplus from the Clear Fork was started for the new ranch with orders to make up a third steer herd and cross Red River at Dones. This cleared the boards on my ranches, and the next day I was in Throckmorton County, where everything was in readiness to pass upon. This last herd was of Clear Fork cattle, put up within twenty-five miles of Fort Griffin, every brand as familiar as my own, and there was little to do but count and receive. Road branding was necessary, however, and while this work was in progress, a relay messenger arrived from the ranch, summoning me to Fort Worth post-haste. The message was from Major Hunter, 
and from the hurried scribbling I made out that several herds were tied up when ready to start, and that they would be thrown on the market. I hurried home, changed teams, and by night and day driving reached Fort Worth and awakened my active partner and Edwards out of their beds to get the particulars. The responsible man of a firm of drovers, with five herds on hand, had suddenly died, and the banks refused to advance the necessary funds to complete their payments. The cattle were under herd in Wise and Cook counties. Both Major Hunter and our Segundo had looked them over, and both pronounced the herds gilt-edged North Texas steers. It would require $300,000 to buy and clear the herds, and all of our accounts were already overdrawn, but it was decided to strain our credit. The situation was fully explained in lengthy messages to a bank in Kansas City. The wires were kept busy all day answering questions, but before the close of business we had authority to draw for the amount needed, and the herds, with remudas and outfits complete, passed into our hands and were started the next day. This gave the firm and me personally thirty-three herds, requiring four hundred and ninety-odd men and over thirty-five hundred horses, while the cattle numbered one hundred and four thousand head. Two-thirds of the herds were routed by way of Doan's Crossing in leaving Texas, while all would touch at Dodge in passing up the country. George Edwards accompanied the North Texas herds, and Major Hunter hastened on to Kansas City to protect our credit, while I hung around Doan's store until our last cattle crossed Red River. The annual exodus from Texas to the north was on with a fury, and on my arrival at Dodge, all precedents in former prices were swept aside in the eager rush to secure cattle. Herds were sold weeks before their arrival. Others were met as far south as Camp Supply, and it was easily to be seen that it was a seller's market. Two-thirds of the trail herds merely took on new supplies at Dodge and passed on to the Platte. Once our heavy beeves had crossed the Arkansas, my partner and I swung around to Ogallala and met our advanced herd. The foreman of which reported meeting buyers as far south as the Republican River. It was actually dangerous to price cattle for fear of being under the market. New classifications were being introduced. Panhandle and North Texas steers commanding as much as $3 a head over their brethren from the coast and far south. The boom in cattle of the early 80s was on with a vengeance. There was no trouble to sell herds that year, one morning, while I was looking for a range on the north fork of the Platte, Major Hunter sold my 7,000 heifers at $25 a round, commanding $2.5 a half ahead over steers of the same age. Edwards had been left in charge at Dodge, and my active partner reluctantly tore himself away from the market at Ogallala to attend our deliveries of beef at Army Posts. Within six weeks after arriving at Dodge in Ogallala, the last of our herds had changed owners, requiring another month to complete the transfers at different destinations. Many of the steers went as far north 
as the Yellowstone River, and Wyoming and Nebraska were liberal buyers at the upper market, while Colorado, Kansas, and the Indian Territory absorbed all offerings at the lower point. Horses were even in demand, and while we made no effort to sell our remudas, over half of them changed owners with the herds they had accompanied into the north. The season closed with a flourish. After we had wound up our affairs, Edwards and I drifted down to the beef ranch with the unsold saddle stock, and the shipping season opened. The Santa Fe Railroad had built south to Caldwell that spring, affording us a nearer shipping point, and we moved out five to ten trainloads a week of single and double wintered beeves. The through cattle for restocking the range had arrived early and were held separate until the first frost, when everything would be turned loose on the Eagle Chief. Trouble was still brewing between the Cherokee Nation and the government on the one side and those holding cattle in the strip, and a clash occurred that fall between a lieutenant of cavalry and our half-breed foreman, LaFleurs. The troops had been burning hay and destroying improvements belonging to cattle outfits, and had paid our range a visit and mixed things with our foreman. The latter stood firm on his rights as a Cherokee citizen and cited his employers as government beef contractors, but the young lieutenant haughtily ignored all statements and ordered the hay, stabling, and dugouts burned. Like a flash of light, Lafleur's aimed a six-shooter at the officer's breast and was instantly covered by a dozen carbines in the hands of troopers. "'Order them to shoot if you dare,' smilingly said the Cherokee to the young lieutenant, a cocked pistol leveled at the latter's heart, and she goes double. There isn't a man under you can pull a trigger quicker than I can.' The hay was not burned, and the stabling and dugouts housed our men and horses for several winters to come. End of chapter 17